There we go. Welcome back to Speaking Out America. And I don't think we've had him on before, but Chris Chang is joining us. He's from the Second Amendment Foundation. And there's an interesting backstory here. We're going to talk about the impact of Dianne Feinstein's passing and what it could mean for uh, gun-carrying American citizens. But Chris serves as the advisory or to, on the advisory council to the Second Amendment Foundation's Board of Trustees, and he is the History Channel's Top Shot Season 4 champion and author of the book Shoot to Win and a former Google employee. How'd you get involved with the Second Amendment Foundation? Yeah, thanks for having me on the show today. And, you know, my path to the Second Amendment Foundation was, uh, you know, I would say an unlikely one. Uh, long story short, you know, I used to just be a sports shooter. who used to, you know, just shoot for, for fun and, you know, really was not involved in the Second Amendment at all. I just thought, you know, guns were something I would do for fun. Uh, but, you know, after winning Top Shot uh, on the History Channel back in 2012, it, it totally changed my life. And, you know, it was when the gun control advocates, you know, started to really, really ramp up their talk around banning assault weapons and magazine capacity restrictions that I realized that I, like millions of Americans who are law-abiding gun owners, we are in this, this, this crazy place where we are being blamed for crimes that we're not committing and we are being blamed for the actions of others. And so if I don't speak up on behalf of our Second Amendment rights, then those rights are going to go away. And it's, it's really you know, that, that simple for me. And, um, you know, it's the, the Second Amendment Foundation has been uh, very supportive of me ever since um, you know, I quit my job at Google and came into the firearms industry, not knowing anybody uh, except for the fact that, you know, I believe in our civil rights and I believe in the values that our country is founded in. And so the Second Amendment Foundation, you know, had me, uh, you know, brought me on board for their advisory council. And I'm very happy to, to talk about our Second Amendment rights to anyone and everyone who is open and willing to listen. Well, uh, and I, we also talked off, off mic. It's a great story. And uh, I'm curious to know what was the environment like at Google? I hear it's, you know, a lot of things that what you just said would be highly offensive to people at Google, from what I understand, right? <laughs> well, you know, essentially, so, you know, Google is a wonderful place to work. And, you know, as much of an anti-gun reputation that it has with its product policies and its leadership, uh, I'll tell you that a lot of the rank and file, like me, we, we you know, are we're gun owners. I mean, there was a whole uh, Second Amendment, you know, gun group at Google as an employee group. Um, but this was, um, you know, it's this was, I think, the more balanced um, sort of perspective of, you know, what Google presents itself, um, you know, to the outside world and, you know, then the way things really were, um, you know, inside. And, um, you know, Google, clearly, though, uh, they have a lot of work to do on supporting civil rights and freedom of speech and supporting the Second Amendment. Um, and so, you know, my experience in technology and working with the Second Amendment community has been something I've enjoyed, right, to, to try and be, you know, I've worked directly with Google um, since leaving uh, Google. Have, I've worked directly with them to improve their YouTube policies and help them understand why certain topics are just very innocuous, like talking about holsters, Right. Talking about a pistol holster is actually a safety device. Right. A holster is designed to keep your your pistol in a secure position. Well, YouTube, depending on you know which human is reviewing video content, 
they could see that holster as an enhancement or a way to enhance the lethality of your pistol, which is absolutely crazy. But this is how it was and, and sort of is also, you know, at, at YouTube and Google. So, you know, for me being able to to clarify and educate, uh, you know, the powers that be over at Google has been very satisfying. I saw a video uh, floating around the Internet a couple of years ago uh, in Santa Barbara, California. They had outlawed plastic straws and it sort of grew into a movement to save the turtles and all this and someone filmed a it was kind of like a joke a babylon b kind of thing where they were filming the reactions of people who were walking by on a major thoroughfare and they were being handed boxes of plastic straws and the people would just retreat and reek as if somebody was handing them a gun and they would be frightened and angry and it's like ladies and gentlemen this is just a plastic straw but what it shows is that you can take any object and demonize it. And what you're fighting back against is the fact that the message that keeps coming from the media is that guns are bad, guns are bad, guns are bad. So when you start talking about anything and you've grown up in a culture where you've been taught that guns are bad, that's why I think you get that visceral reaction from people. But what do you say to somebody who says, yeah, but don't you want to fight gun violence? What's your response to that? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, what I love about your perspective is this is the reality that we're living in, that there are a lot of anti-gun people who are prejudiced and bigoted against guns, which are these inanimate objects. And by extension, they're bigoted against lawful gun owners. And so, you know, for me, when I'm having discussions and, and you know debates about this topic, we all want the same thing, which is a safe country, right? We want safe communities. We don't want anybody to be worried about, you know, is their kid going to get shot up, you know, at school? Is there going to be, you know, the next mass shooting? Like nobody wants that, right? And so to then talk about some of the numbers, you know, out of the 45,000 homicides uh, or deaths with a firearm every year, only one third of those are homicides, Right. And then out of those those 15,000 homicides, the smallest of small percentages are mass shootings. And then, you know, and even, you know, an equally small number are used are you know, is where assault weapons are used. And so this notion of curtailing our civil rights because of the actions of a small few is un-American. It doesn't make any sense. And, you know, I always I always like to say to an anti-gunner, say, look, okay, let's just hypothetically play out. What if what if a full assault weapons ban actually happened? How would that be impactful in any way when the only people who are, are going to turn in their assault weapons, and, and this is probably going to be a very small number, would be the law-abiding citizens, right? And so the criminals, the bottom line is that the, the criminals are still going to have their guns no matter what types of bans that we pass. And so we would almost have a worst case scenario of disarming good Americans and keeping criminals armed. And so this whole notion of an assault weapons ban is on its face bad policy. Number two, it's impractical for the government to try and either confiscate, ban or recover 40 million assault weapons in our country. Now, just think, you know, 40 million of anything would be insurmountable for the government to try and ban or confiscate. You know, right? we already went through this back in the early 1900s with prohibition where the government tried to ban alcohol, right? And That's it's, a good point. We, we, 
we all saw where that ended up. Black market, most people, or not most, but many people still continue drinking. And then, of course, we repealed it. So, you know, our country, we have already gone through and lived through bans of things. And in fact, we also had an assault weapons ban from 1994 to 2004. And Obama's FBI did an after-action report on that assault weapons ban, and they determined that it didn't do anything to, to reduce crime in our country. So for 10 years, we violated the civil rights of law-abiding Americans for no good reason. It did not make our country safer, and it didn't. it just didn't do anything. So it's sometimes boggling that we would still sit here and talk about why we should ban assault weapons or standard capacity magazines when it really is not so much about the gun, it's about the people. This is a people problem at the core of it. And and people who are committing these crimes, right? They're the ones who need to be, uh, they need to be helped ideally before that they, they commit these crimes. And they need to be the ones who are focused on after the fact, right? Don't penalize me for owning an AR-15 just because some crazy nut job decided yeah. to go shoot people with one. Yeah. Chris, we're out of time, but man, I like the way you speak. And I think the Second Amendment has got a good catch with you. You're on the advisory board there. And I am especially looking forward to having you come back on and educate us. What you're doing is educating people, and that's the right direction. Appreciate it. And we'll see you next time, okay? Thanks so much for having me on. All right. We're going to talk to another gentleman, Nan Su, from the Epic Times. We're going to talk about China. Stay tuned. And welcome back to Speaking Out America. Always glad to have Nan Su from the Epoch Times on. And we're going to talk about China, their problems overseas with the economy. A lot of reports coming out, including from Bloomberg, also World Trade Organization, uh, issuing some caution on the economic front. And China is going through, I think, it's not yet done, but it's going through one of its most serious economic crises in a long time. And Nan Su is here to join us. Tell us what's going on over there. A lot of this has to do with bad real estate, right, Nan? Uh, yes. Uh, the real estate industry, it's at a rock bottom right now in China. All those big condominiums that they built and they expected to move people in and sell. Uh, and we've seen pictures of these great metropolis big cities and all these buildings are empty. Do they all have furniture in them too? I'm, I'm just curious. I mean, what went wrong with this program? I would have assumed that with the population of China, that there would have been plenty of occupants, plenty of people to buy up these properties. Well, you are looking at you are what you're talking about was uh, was the ghost towns they built that actually uh, barely anybody living there. But that China's a uh, uh, real estate problem. It's a lot more than that. Uh, they're so overbuilt, uh, just uh, just more than a little bit about ten. I think it's like a, less than two weeks ago, uh, the former deputy uh, director of China's National Audit uh, Bureau uh, actually came forward and said China have enough 
uh, 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 enough, uh, uh, build enough living space that can house uh, 3 billion people. Well, that's not quite enough. Well, I mean, what's the population? 1.6 billion right now? Uh, the total population is a little bit less than 1.4 billion. While right now the the the, the most uh, uh, the the country with the most population number one population is India, it's a little bit more than 1.4 billion. So, which means basically you know China is so overbuilt they can you know move the entire Indian population to China. They still have enough space to live. What do you think is the underlying reason that they're having the economic calamity they're having? I mean, what's at the root of it? I think that in the West and in particular the United States, much of what the economic problems we're having is directly tied to energy. But there's plenty of energy in China. So what's driving the economic slowdown in China? Well, it's it's the overbill, right? You build too much, you don't have people buying it. And now uh, they keep building. Uh, now the real estate industry and the construction uh, industry, those are the industries that uh, all these years driving uh, China's economy moving forward. Uh, the total GDP, uh, it's like a somewhere about 30, 40% of their GDP. It's from the real estate development. So they and people just keep borrowing, and then when people have money, they will just buy more because it's, they figure out this is investment. You you buy, you know, you it, the price is going to go up, and then that's your retirement, that's your uh, children's education, that's the future of your family, that's everything. So you know, people just keep buying. A lot of people have like uh, two or three or maybe four apartments uh, in the city. So, you know, so now, you know, they're, they're towards at the end, you know, they, it, it, the, uh, not only the living units, but also office buildings are all vacant. So now then the, it, eventually you have to stop somewhere, yeah, basically. Right. You just, well, you run out of money <laughs> or you run out of resources or whatever, and nobody's buying and you're right. And now, there's an abundance of property, so the value is low. When there's a lot of when there's a lot of supply, that naturally drives down the value. What do you think Xi Jinping's end game here? How does he get himself out of this? What what is he doing or not doing that he should be doing right now uh, to reverse this? And also, the more important question for us, anyway, how does this impact the U.S. economy? Uh, well, that's, you know, it's interesting to see. So, number one, let's talk about China. Uh, now, uh, Xi Jinping's game, we can see it's start unfolding. You know, you look at Evergrande. You know, Evergrande, you know, they fire Chapter 11 uh, uh, in New York star market. Uh, they uh, they try to reorganize their debt. Now they have more than three hundred. They owe. They owe three hundred. It's a. It's a. It's a thirty billion. They, 30 they billion. owe more than thirty billion uh, American dollars. Okay, yeah. not a 
So they, it's a lot of a dab, but they, they own, they, you know, they try to reorganize the dab so they, they, they can move forward. But what, but, you know, just like less than two weeks ago, they claim that uh, they're not able to, to issue the new financial notes because they are under investigation by the Chinese Communist Party. So, uh, so, and then, you know, uh, about a week ago, the CEO of uh, Evergrande uh, was arrested. So that was it. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, you can see, you know, what the Chinese Communist Party, the way they're going to handle it, is they're going to let all these private uh, real estate developers go bankrupt one by one. And then at the same time, they're going, you know, now, once all these companies they go bankrupt, they are going to go through a long process, you know, because it's a, it's a legal process. Once you know, you know, they cannot sell whatever the, the already finished the units they already built. Yeah, and because it, you know, right? Say so because this is that you know, this is the legal process, and then they cannot finish the the building that's half finished. So basically, all those units, all those finishes or not finishes, will be off the market. They will tremendous, tremendously reduce the competition for the state-owned real estate developer. So, uh, so China's number one pr- uh, priority right now for Xi Jinping is to protect its bank, because all the big banks are uh, state-owned. So they they need to have the they need to prevent the bank from uh, go bankruptcy, right? Yeah. So in China, that's not a problem. You know, if Chinese government doesn't want their banks to go bankrupt, they just, they're, they're just not, go, not going to go bankrupt. That they can, you know... They, but isn't they, that they, unrealistic? They whatever the money, amount of money they want, they just keep printing it, right? Yeah, yeah but, so, it, but sooner or later, it doesn't work. I mean, every economist in the world will tell you, you just can't. That's the problem we're having. We're at thirty-three uh, trillion in debt. Sooner or later, uh, those debtors come calling, and when they don't get what oh, they that's want, the key. Yeah. okay, that's the key. Okay, how the key here is, you don't look at China in the way you look at our economy. I'll give you. I usually I give you people example. Uh, you know, between 1958 and 1961, that's three years. China had a, like a close to 40 million people die of hunger, die of hunger. Yeah, die of hunger. That's like about six percent of the total population. Yeah, uh, and now. Did, did that solve a problem about, for them? It's, it's about in the United States if you have like. A, I, I'm not talking about like six uh, percent of the total population die of hunger. Just say less than half percent of the yeah. total population <laughs> die of hunger. What, 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 what are you going to see in uh, in, in Wall Street? You know that. What, what are you going to see? The Dow. What, what are you going to see? Uh, the Nasdaq and Dow. What's going to happen? It's going to crash. Right? It's totally different. But yeah. in China, the outside world barely heard about it. Yeah. So, well, I guess they so can do that, right? It, because it solves a problem. You're getting rid of people, and then when you have less people, they're easier to manage. And then what? It sort of resets the the social structure of China. That's that's it. Well, you know, they have. That's why China it's uh, it's uh, really ex- expanding. It's uh, uh, they they have this uh, armed force department 
uh, that's uh, um, many uh, in universities, uh, uh, in towns, uh, in villages, in this. Uh, so they are quickly build up all those things right now. Uh, it's to manage. They they have the, all these um, uh, national guards, uh, militants. That's like uh, you know. Uh, 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 army reserve it's quickly they're re recovering all those systems right now uh, and it's kind of like uh, to use those things to manage the society and i tell you what it sounds it sounds like they don't know what they're doing really i mean the end game here is that a lot of people are going to suffer uh and i guess in china it's true. Yeah. And, well, and, do you think those uh, the, the, see? Do you think those uh, the Chinese communist regime is going to really care about their no. people? No. They're not elected, right? Yeah. No, nobody can vote against <laughs> them. That's <laughs> you, tragic. You, you don't have right to vote. Well, that's I, the key. Uh, you know what? That's that's why people in this country should be very careful about stepping towards communism or socialism. So. Nansu, we run out of time. Check out Nansu's writing. He's an excellent investigative reporter for the Epoch Times, and he follows China and brings that news to us. So we'll see you next time right here on Speaking Out America. Thanks again, uh, Nan. Oh, thank you for having me. Very welcome. My pleasure. Don't forget you can join us Monday through Friday from 9 to 10 a.m., and that's Pacific time, and then again 5 to 6 p.m. right here on crntalk.com. See you in 24 hours. Have a good day.